If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for the prophecies, they will pass away. As for the tongues, they will cease. As for the knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, and the partial or the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So, fa so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. We usually read the passage that uh, we're going to focus on through the sermon, and, and today we, we did a little bit differently because that chapter is going to play such a, a pivotal role in this chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, today's really an important day for us, so we saw that Josh mentioned that in, in his prayer. I felt like we could go home right after he prayed. Um, we're coming to the longest section in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 5. This is the longest section in the Bible devoted specifically to teaching about marriage, okay? Just marriage is the longest chapter. Um, what's interesting is it's the longest section in the Bible specifically devoted to marriage, and I timed it earlier this week. If you just read this section, it took me one minute and nine seconds. And that's the longest section devoted just to marriage. And I don't think it's because God doesn't think it's a big deal. <laughs> we see throughout the rest of Scripture that it is, but I think he doesn't waste words. And he's able to say in a minute and nine seconds, revolutionary realities that will take a lifetime for us to live out, but um, is maximum for our flourishing in what he has created. Um, before we dive in, it's, I don't think it's an overstatement to say not only is this the most he wrote in marriage, but that this is the most important writing in history on marriage. I, th I think even people who don't believe in Jesus would be hard-pressed to name any other writing on marriage that has more influence and has had more impact and has more impact than this section. Um, but the Bible speaks about marriage in a lot of other places. Genesis is uh, exhibit A. Genesis alone, speaking about the creation of Adam and Eve and marriage, are crucial. They're absolutely cr crucial. It's a crime, it feels like, that we're not diving into that first, but uh, we will dive into those more in the future. Um, we could also fill libraries with other books, Writing, saying, and advice on marriage. Um, we can find advice on marriage everywhere, but my prayer is that today we will recognize that these are God's words ringing true for us, 
for us to move into. Uh, if you're single, if you're not married, uh, if that's because of a death of a spouse, a divorce, or um, not being married yet, the Lord may be calling you to a life of singleness potentially. If, if any of that of you is true, I do uh, encourage you to be all in today. All in. You may be married in the future, and the Lord may lay a foundation for you for what to look for in a spouse, what to fight for before and in marriage, and what to pray into for a marriage one day. When I met Patty and she shared aspects of our marriage that she had been praying for for six years, I was blown away. I was like, I have not been doing that. And um, we didn't even, I mean, for five of those years, she didn't even know who I was. And she had been praying into uh, aspects of our marriage. And so I should have proposed right there, but I, I, I wanted to get to know her a little bit. But um, uh, so um, if you, though, are, um, no matter what the Lord is calling you, if you're not married, um, you're fully a part of this church community right now, today. And there are marriages all around you. The Lord may use you, your experiences, your knowledge of his will for marriages. He may use you to speak into and sharpen the marriages around you and don't hold back. Don't think you have to be married to be able to speak into marriage because you have God's word and you have God's wisdom in you as he teaches you his ways. So jump in. Um, to those who are separated, divorced, widowed, remarried, victims of a toxic marriage, um, that is tragic, that is hard. Uh, we don't want to quickly move over that. But I also want us to say that God doesn't make mistakes in having you in this room right now. God, God's word, and God's way is always relevant. Okay, So you might be like, man, I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. Um, and that may be true. And it is good to be here and be hearing it right now. Um, he might take a broken past and lead you to a healing that maybe you didn't even anticipate. He might comfort you in your loss, meet you in a broken dream. Uh, a blessing for all of us is our God is not in the shaming business. He's not in the shaming business. Shame usually leads to isolation. Sorrow can be great <laughs> in the sense that sorrow can lead us towards healing Sorrow can lead us to repentance and change. Shame is isolation, and there's no, our God is not a shaming God, and he does not lead us to be shamed about something, but he draws near and draws us into, potentially even through sorrow, to embrace that, trusting that God's way today is leading you to greater health. Uh, for all of us, Lord, I just ask that you would teach us your ways for marriage. Some of us have not had examples that we want to follow, some of us have had examples we're not sure we can live up to. And Lord, would your word, would the powerful presence of your spirit direct each of us in this room towards your design for marriage? And would you give us the power to obey your word for a lifetime, for our joy, for the good of our families, for the good of our community, and for your praise? We look to you to move. We don't want to play church today. We want to meet with you, be changed, and go from here, sent by you. Amen. Amen. We're in Ephesians 5, 22 through 23. So here we go. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as 
to the Lord. Every word in there is important. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, stay with me here. What is fascinating is right before this section, God has called people to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So anyone who follows Jesus, our mission should be sub, submission, our mission should be sub to Jesus's mission, which is actually allowing us to not have to be the king of the mountain and all of these things. So like we're called, all of us in the room, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, then we get applied, Jesus is like, okay, I'm now going to apply this in a few areas of life. So next week we'll look at how that looks like kids and parents, and then we'll look beyond there. But here, the focus now is how this gets lived out in a marriage relationship. And um, the verses before this called all people, men and women, into such a submission. Ephesians is now taking us into this place where marriage is the first realm and for a marriage to flourish as it is designed. So the one who made this place, made us, made marriage, he is like, I know the behind the scenes, here's how this thing is going to flourish, is wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord. And let me make it very clear, very clear, a wife should not submit to her husband in matters that are sinful, harmful, or contrary to God's commands, okay? A wife should not submit to her husband in matters that are sinful, harmful, or contrary to God's commands. Also, um, look how it says your own husbands. Wives aren't to submit to all men. Now, there is a sense that I talked about where all of us are submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, but in this way, it's not like a wife is to submit to all guys. It's in a special way to their own husbands. This word submit was when it was penned and when God breathed it, all scriptures God breathes, 2 Timothy 3 tells us, that as that word is being conveyed, the Greek, in the original Greek, the form of the verb, so this is how like particular God has um, his word to be as, as specific as possible he actually said, this verb will be in the middle voice. And so the middle voice of this verb, what that means, like why, why do we care about it? What that means is that this verb needs to be done voluntarily. Okay, so submission is a voluntary thing. So it's never to be demanded. If a man ever demands submission, you are totally in the wrong place, <laughs> and you, you, you are finding yourself in a place that you need to meet with me, you need to meet with other people, and we need to navigate what's going on. Why submission, though? Why should her mission be sub to his mission? It has zero to do with the man being superior in any way. It is purely connected to the roles of authority placed in marriage, roles of husband and wife, and how Jesus looks and how God looks to the authority and the responsibility. Jesus, Jesus even is not inferior to the Father, okay? 
if you believe Jesus is the JV team and the Father is varsity, if you think that Jesus is inferior to the Father, that is, those are heresies that, uh, that are not what the Bible teaches. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Okay, So why do I bring that up? Well, because the Son communicates several times to us that he submits to the will of the Father. And it's not because the Son is lesser. It's a role that they have in the Trinity. Women are equal in value, worth, and dignity to men. Both are made equally in the image of God. That's gigantic. Both are made equally in the image of God. In this equality, God has purposefully placed these roles in a marriage for the flourishing of each individual inside of the marriage and the flourishing of the marriage itself. The husband is in, a, is in a role, in a way that Ephesians tells us, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So all who are in a healthy relationship with Jesus as our savior are joyfully benefiting from this position. Now look at verse 24. Verse 24 connects the two. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. So the reality here is just, uh, this is not, there's a reality here, what is spoken here, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I know this feels edgy, and it feels like revolutionary in the way, and, and it feels very ancient, but I think it feels cutting edge too, to actually just have this out here. But the reality is that a wife will be unable to understand this type of submission. And a husband will be unable to understand this type of submission if we don't understand Jesus and we don't understand what he is doing, has done, and the joy of submitting to him. Okay? Like if you say, hey, all of us in the room were to love our wives were to treat each other like Bob Peregrine treated Donna Peregrine. And you should do that for a lifetime. You'll look over and be like, have you ever heard of him? Have you ever heard of him? No, we don't know who he is. And so it's like, we don't know how to do this thing then. <laughs> because this is all a comparison. But if we're intimately connected to the comparison we are just given incredible amounts of information in HD color of what this relationship is supposed to look like. And yes, there's a comparison with Christ, and yes, the husband is not Jesus. <laughs> no way, shape, or form, right? We desperately need him, and we ain't him. Um, but there's a comparison for how Jesus, how the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The word everything. What is going on with that word everything? Because you already said not in sin, not in other areas. What is this talking about? Everything here um, appears to be talking about that there is no realm in life where the husband is not responsible Okay, so it's not like, well, you take care of the kids and this and this and this, and that's kind of your thing, and I'll like work over here and provide food and money, and that'll be my realm. And God is saying, no, like in everything, like 
He is responsible and has authority for everything in the realm of marriage. Wives look to the husband for leadership, knowing that he is responsible and helping him to be a godly leader in all areas of the life of the family. Now, what submission doesn't mean is like, I'm not involved. Because um, it's not being passive. It's not sitting back. It's not saying, well, this is your thing, not mine, or I guess you're in charge, and I, I, I'm not involved here. I was thinking about Patty and I, and are even feeling called to, to move up here and, and move back home and plant the church. And we were not on the same page. We were sharing this with some people last night. Um, we had prayed about it. We had felt called to it. But the timetable of it, we were just like not on the same page. And, um, and you know, I could have just been like, well, let me pull out Ephesians 5 and we're just going to do it my way. But when she was like, I, I'm just not seeing it the way you're seeing it. Um, that actually made me like really stop in my tracks because I don't want to be like, well, I'm leading this way. And I look back, I'm like, where did she go? <laughs> right? um, but instead to be like, man, we need to, I'm called to lead you. And that means like, like you are, you hear from God. You are smart. You're intelligent. You are in, more insightful in so many areas than I am. And if you're feeling like, I don't think we should move that way, for me to be like, well, I'm just going, but instead to be like, man, we need to like stop here. Like there's a why, we need to stop here and we need to pray. And I'm trusting God in her and in me that like together we'll see when it's time to go. But I felt like even the initiative of like not forcing, but being like, she was helping me to see, I think we need to stop here and pray and fast and make sure we're on the same page. And it took several months, but then we like, we were able to get on the same page. But when we got there, we were together and it, and it was beautiful. And that detour was actually used by God uh, for his purposes. Having the wife be a helper is part of the initial forging of the relationship. Genesis 2.18, it'll be up here. You can jot it down in your notes if you want to. It's a powerful uh, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Um, a mentor of mine um, had a really good insight on the beginning part of this verse. It is not good that the man should be alone. Adam wasn't alone. He had an exclusive relationship with God. It was him and the Trinity. That was it, and the angels. And so, like, Adam could have been like, I'm not alone. I have you to myself. I have a perfect relationship with you. I haven't sinned yet. This is awesome. Um, but God would have said, no, you're alone. You are alone, Adam. Like, yes, he had a relationship with God, but he was, the way he describes it, it's not good that the man should be alone. Then I will make him a helper fit for him. That Hebrew word helper, if you think that's a demeaning word at all, it's used 16 other times in Scripture. 16 other times in Scripture. All 16 other occurrences is God talking about himself. That the Holy Spirit is our helper, that, I mean, all members of the Trinity, 16 times that word is used, and then it's used for a woman, okay? Because a helper means, like, actually the person needs help, <laughs> and you actually have giftings and abilities that they don't have, and your help is indispensable. And it's not a passive thing. It is leadership in itself. Then, uh, verse 22 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Man, would every woman in this room draw closer to the Lord? Like, don't miss seeing as to the Lord. Like, as we are growing more and more in submitting to the Lord, letting Him direct and lead us, that in a shadow of that, we're also letting husbands direct and lead that. I think one of the core sins of a man is passivity. So I don't think it's, it's a mistake that God's like, I, I want the man to have the responsibility to lead this family because I think passivity is, uh, so many guys would just be happy to be in our man caves for a lifetime and not be responsible for anybody. And for God to say, I'm going to hold you responsible for leading your family for a lifetime. The rest of this passage, the next seven verses are directed just to this, to men, okay? So there is vast more that is written to men, and unfortunately we don't have time, so we're just going to go home. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That would be um, very passive for us to do that. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, so just this verse alone, no joke, just this verse alone could take a lifetime to mine the depths of this verse. Based on ancient texts on marriage, this verse is unexpected. It's a shock to have this verse coming off of a wife's role to submit to her husband's, what seems to be the natural direction would be for the husband to rule over or domineer their wives. The word love was never used in Greco-Roman household codes in relation to the duties of husbands. So when, when uh, his, or history, historians, that was the word, when historians go back and look at the Greeks, and the Romans, and they look at what they wrote on marriage, not one time was a husband called to love his wife. They couldn't find that in the historical records. And so in this time, this light shines brightly to say, husbands, the main calling to a husband is to love his wife. Not to give the appearance of loving his wife, not when we get our church clothes on and we're in church, it looks like I love my wife, and then I'm kind of loving myself, the rest, but truly loving his wife. And God gets to define love. So that's why we had Rebecca read 1 Corinthians 13. And I think it's helpful for every man in this room and woman in this room, helping the men in this room to have a very robust view of how God defines love. Because he now is telling us that love is patient, it's kind, does not seek its own. On and on you could go. It's great to just one time read through 1 Corinthians 13, and every time you see the word love, replace it with the word Jesus. And it, Jesus is kind, Jesus is patient, Jesus doesn't seek his own, because he embodies love and embodied that love for us uh, with his life, and with his life even now living for us and building us up as his living church. So God gets to define love. Since this is the calling of a husband, we should all be familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. Then we have the comparison, okay? So it's not, if we just had 1 Corinthians 13, that would be good. But now we have this comparison 
that we're to love our wives as Christ loved and loves the church. The love that caused Jesus to initiate the salvation of humanity. The sacrificial love that led him to give his life for his church. The patient passion he has to be with us always, to never leave us and never forsake us. To even intercede for us, to come back for us, to not divorce us when we go astray, but to pursue us. His love for the church. That type of love is to be known by a husband, to be studied by a husband, to be delighted in, to be like, I know that type of love. I don't just read about it in the books, but I feel it as he lives and, per- and pursues me. That type of love from Jesus is to be directed to one woman for the rest of your life. As you grow in learning more facets of that love, that type of love is to be directed to your wife for the rest of your life. Verse 26 then begins multiple purpose clauses identifying Christ's sacrificial love for the church to say like, here's just a few examples for you to see the type of love that he has for his church. First, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Sanctify, the word hagiazo. This refers to him setting the church apart as holy. I'm going to take these people... I'm going to set them apart over here, and I'm going to cleanse them with the washing of the word. And uh, this, the, the word for word is a little unique here, and, uh, and it's, it's speaking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So Jesus himself, it's like, it's like an ocean with the waves, is that he is having waves crash over us over and over and over, and the waves is the reality of the good news of the gospel is that the church is able to, to experience those waves crashing over, and that is setting us apart, making us be holy because he is holy, changing our lives, changing our, having our temptations uh, be driven away, fleeing them, having us teach us a new way to live. That's the way he is treating his church, and we're supposed to treat our spouse that way, to have the, the, the gospel be washing us over and over and to be leading our family and having the truth of the gospel be supreme and not just let your wife train the kids in religious things, but instead to recognize we are having this intimate relationship with Jesus and he is doing that for me. I don't deserve it, but he's doing it for me. And then I get the privilege and the honor to lead my family in walking into that. And then second, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself. This, we're not treading water here. He is going somewhere, and where he's going is to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Like his goal for us is to be this church that enters into, in, enters into heaven one day, and we have been made clean without spot or wrinkle. This spot or wrinkle uh, might seem like an interesting use, but what it is supposed to spark in us is the sacrificial system in the Old Testament and how a pure lamb, a lamb that didn't have spots on it, didn't have wrinkles. Uh, Some of you are, are lambing right now, and I don't even know what that looks like, but you probably know what that looks like to have a lamb that's just like, this is a perfect lamb. 
It doesn't have any of those things. And Jesus was that for us. The great shepherd became the perfect sacrifice so us goats can look like the perfect lamb presented to God in splendor. There's a depth of a love here that Jesus is teaching us, melting our hearts with, warming us to these living realities, and then saying, go, live that way towards your spouse. So in light of this, husbands are once again refocused for the task at hand. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So he changes the image here a little bit. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. We are to love our wives. In addition to loving our wives as Christ loved the church, we also love our wives as much as we love ourselves. <laughs> and man, we can, we can be about all about us. And it's like, as much as you are about you, that is how much, at a minimum, you should be about her, caring for her. Jesus, no one ever called Jesus selfish, right? And we have to... <laughs> As we see him in that way, he's like, yeah, with that heart of like, this isn't your thing, man. You are called, as much as you love yourself and even feed yourself, nourish yourself, cherish yourself, to love your wives as you love your own body, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And if you're not a member of his body, man, there's a huge invitation to step into this type of love, step into the stream of this type of love. Let him remove your sins as far as the east is from the west, as Scripture says. Verse 31 then takes us there, quoting Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This great mystery that was hidden for ages, we know the prophecies of our Savior coming, but we had no idea that when Jesus would come, it would be so intimate of a salvation. No idea. The great mystery that is now revealed is profound, that he is the head, we are his body, our relationship with Jesus is so close that upon putting our faith in him, nothing can ever separate us. See that in John 10.10 10 and elsewhere. It would, be, it would be as horrific as having a head cut off of a body. As horrific as that for us to ever be removed from Jesus once we are considered his body and he is considered our head and he is powerful to have that never happen. And to look at marriage that way, that a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Nothing and no one should be able to destroy this. Nothing and no one can destroy the bond that Jesus has once we put our faith in him. Then a summary as we wrap up our time here, verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let each one of you this is meant to say, this isn't just for a few people in this room. It's actually expecting each one of us to live this out. Expecting each one of us to walk into this. And then that word respect um, is actually kind of the word fear, but the way that it's uh, carried in this passage uh, also easily is the word awe. Our word awe. 
Let the wife even be in awe of what God has called the husband to walk into and the way that the husband has been called and how, man, we need to pray because if, if, if husbands in this room love wives that way, um, people will be coming to Jesus just to be able to experience that intimacy. So where do we go from here? Well, I want to trust that God has already talked to each one of us about something, about a practical way to live this out. If you are not a Christian in this room right now, meaning that you have not put your trust, maybe you, know, you grew up going to a church, but if I, if I walk into a garage, it doesn't make me a car. Um, if we walk into a church building, it doesn't make us a Christian. What, what has us be a Christian is being a follower of our living Savior. Giving your life to him is, this won't make sense. Ephesians 5 doesn't make sense without that relationship. You've heard it today of all that he's done for you, all he's committed to do in paying for your sins, giving you a new mission with him. If you're married, teaching you how to live this out. If you're not married, teaching you what the design is in this. Giving your life to him today is easy because he paid a great price so that you can trust in him and have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him, he says, will not perish but have everlasting life. There are certain reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers immediately. This prayer he promises to answer immediately, every time. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will have everlasting life. You don't need to raise your hand. You don't need to walk down the aisle. You just need to let him know you're believing in him today and thank him for saving you. So if you're not a Christian here right now, come to Jesus, and the invitation, man, is give your life to Jesus. If you walked in here and you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior, the invitation is the same. Give your life to Jesus. You can't read these and be like, I got it. I can do that. You read this and it's like, can anybody do this? Can anybody love their wives as Christ loved the church? The only way this could possibly happen is, Jesus, if you give me the strength to do this. I throw myself at your feet and say, I want to do this. Give me the ability to do this. Convict my heart when I'm not doing it. Uh, empower me when I am. The Holy Spirit is given as our counselor. Counsel me. I need counseling. I need a band of brothers around me. We need a sisterhood formed to be directing all of us to live this out for our flourishing, the flourishing of our church, flourishing of our families. This has multi-generational impact. And, and I think this is what he means by praying for our daily bread, is I need today, I need you to give me the nourishment today to carry out what you're calling me today. And if you're married, this is a huge thing that he's calling us to. Um, and he's not saying, good luck. He's saying, I'm here with you. So give our lives to Jesus. A uh, beautiful way we get to do that is through communion. Communion means we are communing with him. And uh, we, we take bread, and the way that we do this, just rip the bread um, and, and take a portion of his bread or his body. So take the bread, representing his body, live perfectly in our place. And then the wine is the dark color, the lighter color is juice. Obey your conscience there, um, representing his blood that was shed for us, washing our sins white as snow. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, this is just going to be bread 
from Panera, and it's going to be juice and wine. Um, I would encourage you, instead of taking this, to take Jesus. Give your life to him. Uh, we'll have people up here uh, after the service praying, uh, ready to pray for, pe- for marriages and all of that. We'd love to pray for you along those ways. There are warnings in Scripture as followers of Jesus not to take this lightly. We should repent of any known sin. We should truly come to him with our lives. And we're coming to him in communion. He is good. He is loving. He beckons us all not to stay where we are, but to go to him. So let's respond. Let's come to him. Um, The way that we'll do that is we'll take the elements, then go back. We'll just stay standing, and then we'll take it as family together. So let's come. Let's respond.